The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So we are in John chapter 9, the last, last few verses, chapter 9, verse 39 through 41. John chapter 9, verse 39 through 41. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see... Your guilt remains. You may be seated and you go, huh? It's one of those phrases that Jesus says that seems, you know, because the last shall be first. Well, no, if they're first, then they're not last, right? And the last, wait, uh, those kind of statements, it's, it's sort of paradoxical. That means when you first look at it, it seems to say one thing. But Jesus has healed that blind man had been blind since birth. If you recall, he did it on the Sabbath. His own neighbors are in consternation over whether or not this is really the guy or not. Then the Pharisees investigate and they don't believe it. And then they pull in the guy's parents and they want to know about it. And, they, and of course, they sort of pass the buck back to the boy, the man. And he goes, uh, why are you asking this again? And they ask him, who do you think he is? Well, he's a prophet. They don't want to buy that. Uh, they say they blame him as being a disciple of Christ and throw him out of the building. Jesus finds that fellow purposely. When he finds the guy who was thrown out, he finds him and says to him, he asks him if he believes in the Son of Man. Does he believe? Who is it? Me, I'm standing in front of you. And the guy worships him. See, he calls him Lord and worships him. That, that's where we get to here. And Jesus said, now, the audience here is the audience in general. He's not necessarily addressing the blind man. We have blind man's now out of the picture. He was blind, former blind man. He, he's not mentioned anymore. And we do know that the Pharisees hear this. It's not necessarily focused at them. Jesus says this general statement. For judgment I came into the world. And then he talks about being blindness, not being able to see and being able to see. Now, we know that this is, by its context, spiritual blindness, not physical, because the Pharisees aren't physically blind. The people in general, he's not referring to that. It's a common metaphor in the Bible. For those who particularly, who don't believe, and matter of fact, there's prophecies, particularly in Isaiah, about he will come and open the eyes of the blind. When Jesus is in the synagogue and, set, and opens and it's his time to read, one of the things he says is bring sight to the blind. Does he mean physically? Well, he did do that, but it's referring to spiritual blindness. But again, you've got to put this in the context of what just happened. All right? That is the former blind man recognizing Jesus as the Son of Man and Lord and worshipped him. That's its context. All right. 
So, so we'll spend much of the time speaking of it in this context, even though there's many places in the Bible that talk about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight, if I could say like that in a more general sense. So in this case, the blind would be those who cannot identify or do not identify Jesus as both the Son of Man and Lord and worship Him. That, that's the definition by context the blind are. You cannot worship Him as Lord when you do not see Him as Lord. That makes pretty good sense, doesn't it? Maybe that doesn't need to be stated, but, but it is obvious here. Okay, But I think this, this metaphor complements the metaphor Jesus said when this blind man is healed and all. And he says, I am the light of the world. Okay, So the metaphor of light and darkness in Scripture... Uh, the idea of light is righteousness, goodness, truth, faithfulness. Thus, when we get to 1 John 1, 5, God is light. That is, God is righteous. God is good. God is truth. God is faithful. Okay, that, that's how the metaphor plays out. Darkness is, of course, the antecedent of that. Unrighteousness, evil, sin, falsehood, and so on. Unfaithfulness. So when we see it in 1 John, God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. So I'm contrasting sight, light, blind, darkness. Those are the two that I'm bringing to the point. Why? Because Jesus has already used this light metaphor. Now He brings that into sight, this being able to see, and blindness. Because, notice, God is light. In Him, there's no darkness at all. It assumes the law of non-contradiction. When it, the Bible, when speaking of the nature of God, it assumes the law of non-contradiction. That is, you can't be righteous and unrighteous at the same time. God can't be unfaithful or faithful and unfaithful. He can't be good and evil. He is these things, therefore the contradiction to it is false. Okay? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago when people talking about truth, how we no longer, our culture no longer believes in the law of non-contradiction. You can have two beliefs in and of themselves that are absolutely contradictory, and that's right and okay. One person can believe one thing, one third can believe it's absolute contradiction, but you're both right. Nope. The Bible assumes the law of non-contradiction. We see this idea in 2 Timothy 2 and 13 that God cannot deny himself. In that context, God is always faithful. He can't be unfaithful, even when you're unfaithful, it says. Why? God can't deny who he is. Therefore, he must be righteous, good, faithful, so on. So God is that light, goodness, righteousness, and so on. He is not darkness. You see this same idea. Now remember, he says, for judgment I came into this world. That's how he starts here. John 3 and 19, we were there when Nicodemus meet, uh, comes to Jesus at night. Jesus said, for this judgment, and this, excuse me, is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light for their, loves, their deeds are evil. So evil being contrasted against the light, the light being good, leads being evil. He is the light of the world. He came into the world. 
that in itself is a judgment. The fact that he came is a judgment. For judgment, I came into this world. Because of the nature of who Christ is, who Jesus is, that brings judgment. Okay? The, term, the idea of judgment, God, Christ coming in judge and judgment, to up to this point, this doesn't include after chapter 9, but 16 times in the Gospel of John. Okay? The way we come to eternal life and to salvation is recognize that He is the just judge. And Jesus talks about that the, the authority to judge has been given to Him, but He doesn't judge on His own accord. He judges out of the righteousness of God because He is God. He, he can't make a wrong judgment. I think that's chapter 7. Okay? So one of the things there, He says, for judgment I came into it. For this reason. One of the reasons he came into the world. For. Let me explain why I came into the world. At first glance, it seems to be in contradiction to John 12, 47, which we will get to in John 47, but let me see what you'll see why some people say this is in contradiction. Remember, for judgment I came into the world. Okay? Now in John 12, 47. If anyone hears my teaches and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said up here where we're reading today, for judgment I came into this world. Over here you said I did not come to judge. Right? We've got a paradox. Seems to be a contradiction, but you've got to take a closer look. Usually the answer is found in context, context, and context. So that was verse 47, the last half of verse 47 I just read to you. Verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teaching has one, one who judges him. Not a thing that judges him, but one a person that judges him, the word which I spoke. That will judge him in the last day. Now listen again. If anyone hears my teaching, the words I speak, and doesn't keep them, it's not me that's judging you. It's my words. That's his point here. Okay? By his words, that judgment comes. Jesus, the man, if I can say it like this, we're talking about the hypostatic union. Jesus, the human, came, came to save that which is lost. But by the nature of the fact that he is God, in the flesh brings judgment. Okay? How, how, how does that happen? Okay. In the beginning was the... And the Word was with God. Then we get down to verse 14. The Word was God. Jesus is the Word. It's John 17, 17. Your Word is truth. Okay? Truth always judges and divides. Matter of fact, you'll see this idea of division many times, especially through chapter 7 through chapter 10 in John. You'll see it coming up next week when we go... Or when we go through chapter 10, it actually brings division again. And there was division among them. 
We saw that last week at the blind, and there was division among them. We saw that back in chapter 7 when Jesus he did things, and there was division among them. Truth judges and divides. Truth assumes the law of non-contradiction. Well, truth requires the law of non-contradiction. That's why we throw the law of non-contradiction out. That's why our culture wants to get rid of it, so that way you can have truth whatever you think it is, supposedly. Okay, by nature and definition, truth divides truth from falsehood. God comes in the flesh. God is truth. By definition, the man Jesus comes to save, to redeem humanity as a human being. But the fact that he is God, he is truth incarnate, it automatically, by its nature, says there's a distinction between truth and falsehood. Has to. Okay? No matter what you say your gender is. This idea for judgment, I came into the world. You'll see this. We've seen it. Anybody remember the Truth Project? With Ted da Dr. Ted Dackett, I think is his name, right? Okay. And John 18, 37, the last half. For this purpose, or for this, I was born. For this, I came into the world. To testify of the truth. No, he just said, I came into the world for judgment. In what sense? He came to testify the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. His word is truth. He comes into the world in human form to redeem mankind, but because he is also God, because he lives a perfectly righteous life, that stands in stark contrast to everything that's not that. Okay? Darkness and lightness do not mix. Okay? I, I know, you think there, there, there's brightness. But I'm not talking about brightness. I'm saying light and dark. If light is there, darkness is not. Okay? Now, we have varying degrees of light as we know it. There's no variance in God. There's no very degree of godness he, that he showed, you know, he's God fully, completely, all the time. And so was Jesus. Okay? It's similar to two when he says, so that those who do not see may see in John 12. We'll get there. I know I keep jumping ahead, but I, I'm trying really not to cover all the stuff in 12 right now, but you got to see the link. John's just not writing haphazardly, it's all connected, okay? I have come as light into the world so that no one who believes in me will remain in darkness. Let me put it another way. I have come as sight, can I use it like that, into the world so that anyone who believes in me will not remain blind. So this, this connection with light, darkness, seeing, blindness, it runs really especially through these several chapters. These who are um, I'll say can't see that he talks about are those who recognize that they are in spiritual darkness. Okay? This is why he says 
to the Pharisees, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Well, if you were blind, recognize that you're in darkness that you can't see. Well, that recognition itself is what really... But because you say you're not blind, you're not in darkness, you're not sinful, evil, unrighteous, unfaithful, because you say that, okay, your guilt remains. Okay? They are people, the sighted people, if I can say it spiritually sighted, who recognize this. They are not the arbiters of truth. The Pharisees think they got the truth. Let, now, now, you, you, you got to be wrong. Matter of fact, later they call Jesus a demon here and call him insane. Because we know what we know. We talked about that last time. The word know showed up so many times. Okay? Well, we know truth. You must, you must be a demon. You must be insane because we know what truth is. Let me put it with a... You know, if you eat of that tree, you'll know the truth. You won't have to believe God. You'll get to be one who knows good from evil. Okay? So people recognize they don't get to choose right and wrong. Their eyes are opened, if I could say it like that. Oops! Uh, I'm not light. I'm not truth. What I thought was light, what I thought was truth. I'm, I don't get to determine that. You do. Okay? They recognize Jesus as God. Life, light, truth, righteous, faithful, good, so on. By that recognition, they recognize what they are not. Now, you've heard me say this before. People want to make Scripture about us. Now, it's about us in this sense that God gave it to us to reveal who He is. As we discover who He is, let me put it this way. How does the Bible start? In the beginning, you... No, in the beginning, God. Let me tell you the subject of the Bible. Go read the back of it. It's God. We discover who He is. He is truth. He is light. He is life. He is right. And we find out the contradiction to that is us. We are the antecedent of that, the, the other extreme. We are not those things. Because we discover that, we discover who Jesus is, and Jesus, therefore, can be and becomes our righteousness. Too many today have made it about them, so they make grace about what they can do. Grace means I can do this, what I want. I can do this, and I can do that, and I can do this, and, and it doesn't matter. So he says that those who do not see may see. Those in darkness would be illuminated. And those who might see become blind. Again, in what sense? Okay. Those who think they're in the light really aren't. Those who think they're at the front of the line are really at the back, and the last, or the first, shall be last. That same kind of process here, okay? 
those who are blind to the manifestations of God as revealed in Jesus Christ in His Word. That's what these people are. They think they know. No, and I used that word on purpose after last week's message. Okay. Really don't know. What, what they're sure they see, really they don't see. We'll touch up more on that as we go. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn. And I would heal them. That's Isaiah 6, 40. It is quoted in John 12. That idea of seeing, okay? He, God, has blinded their eyes. And I know that people have a problem with that, but we'll get there. Don't, don't, don't get all upset at me yet. Okay? Romans 8 describes these, or just Romans 1 describes these blind people. Starting in verse 18 and following. Okay? These blind people are those who suppress the truth with unrighteousness. Of course, if truth is righteousness, the opposite is, okay? They do not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him as God. They profess to be wise, or let me put it another way, profess to be seeing when they're actually fools, blind. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the Creator. Let me put it this way. Truth is found in the creation, not the creator. That, that, that's what they do. Okay? Those who do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Therefore, there's a consequence to this, these blind people, if I could say it that way. God gave them over to lust of their hearts and impurity, to, the, to degrading passions, and to a depraved mind. I'll put it another way. They'll think they're seeing when they're blind. He turns them over to their own blindness. That's, that's, that's pretty rough. When Gus says, fine, I'll, I'll turn you over right into darkness that you claim to be light, I'll let, I'll let you go there. I'll, I'll just, matter of fact, I'll turn you and face you right into the darkness. I think we see that when we already read this from John 3 and 19. For this is the judgment that light is coming to the world. But the people loved the darkness more than they did the light. How do you know that? Because their deeds are evil. That's why they hate the light. Because light exposes everything. Ephesians 5.13a. But all things become visible when exposed to the light. Thus they hated Jesus. Him being very God in human form, absolute perfection and righteousness and goodness and evil, exposed their unrighteousness, their evilness, their unfaithfulness, etc. They didn't like that. They loved their darkness because their deeds were evil. It exposes my darkness. And 
So the Pharisees' response to this, wait, wait, you're saying we're blind. Well, in one sense, Jesus says, no. Okay, you're not because you don't recognize your own blindness. No, because, because you claim that you say you see. You, if you claim you were blind, then you wouldn't be guilty. Why? Because by that point, you've recognized who he is. Okay? See, they are self-righteous. They, their belief is they're basically good. That, that their good deeds outweigh their bad ones. Come on, no Pharisee thought they never sinned, even though they claimed it. They knew better. Their anger, their jealousy towards Christ himself proved that. But they would tell you they're the righteous ones. Thus, they're the example of, of self-righteousness throughout Scripture. Okay? So instead of measuring themselves by the light of Jesus... They measured themselves by the darkness in others who were also dark. So they compared themselves. I am glad I'm not like that sinner over there when I'm praying. See the comparison? Okay? They compare them, their darkness to the darkness in others and say, I'm light. We all know it. You're a good person. Well, you know, I'm... I'm I'm not a cannibal, I'm not a mass murderer, I'm not Adolf Hitler. See, I'm a good person. They're comparing darkness to darkness and calling it light. Because when light was in front of them, that left them wanting, lacking. And I'll read this because the way I wrote it. They are guilty men, blind to their own guilt, and as the light exposes more of their guilt, the more they claim guiltlessness. Let me read it again. They are guilty men, blind of their own guilt. And as the light exposes more of their guilt, the more they claim their guiltlessness. But yes, they are blind in another sense, that they don't recognize that he's the Son of Man and Lord and worship him like the blind man, the previously blind man, did. They do not to submit to his lordship. What? He actually said in eight, nine, how many times you, do you, you don't hear me? Listen to my words. You don't hear me. Now he says you can't hear me, all right? But you don't listen. You, you don't obey. You don't do what I tell you. Why? Because you don't see me as Lord. You don't see, they didn't see Jesus as having the right to tell them you can heal on the Sabbath. They didn't like that. They, they wouldn't listen to him. And he says then, well, wait a minute. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and you want to tell me I don't have the right to do it? You see what I'm saying? Lord of the Sabbath. Supreme authority and ruler of the Sabbath. And you want to tell me what to do on the Sabbath? Because he's picking grain later with the disciples. Let's take a little application. The truth of who Christ is always divides. Because truth, by its nature, does so. Okay, again, a common theme in chapter 7 through 10, even into 12. Okay, so let me give you an example of the way it divides. The living from the dead, spiritually. The believing from the unbelieving. Those who trust in works, those by grace through faith. Those who belong to Him, those who don't belong to Him. These are just things you'll find in Scripture. 
Those who are predestined to eternal life, those who are not, I've got scriptures for all these, those who are blind, and those who see. It, it just it categorizes. Well, I, I don't use categories and labels. Too bad, Jesus did. Blind, seeing. Those unto life, those unto death. Believing, unbelieving, right? Those predestined, those not. That's a hard one for a lot of people to swallow. But, but he, the truth categorizes from truth to not truth. It just does. So we'll, we'll get into that more next week. But I think a couple points here. I want to talk about the blind. People who believe and claim they see, but they are actually blind. I, I'm sure you could do more than that. Let me, let me divide it into two categories for you. Okay? I, I would say, I'm, I'm going to put it in more common terms, modern terms, I think are the materialist, atheist. All that is is the material world. It will tell us truth. Let me put it away. Creation determines truth as you interpret creation. Okay? Uh, these people are often the most dogmatic people, not religious people, not Christians. The most dogmatic people write books called The God Delusion. Okay? Um, they declare lies to be truth and fables of men's imaginations to be reality. Ready? Multiple universes. See, because I don't want to, in the beginning God created, I don't want to, I don't want to believe that truth. So i got to figure out how we hear. So I've come up with this idea that there's these multiple universes. Why? Because this is how I can explain my truth. And, and, our, and our universe spawns out of their multiple universes. And now I go search for evidence to prove to you there's multiple universes that you could never experience, see, touch, feel. But I only believe in what I can see and feel and experiment with. Okay? All the while, they denounce the truth of God and the gospel as a myth. And Christianity to be some manifestation of psychosis. I read them this week. Literally, I, I went out and read. You and I are insane. We've got, matter of fact, I was reading several Christianity is the cause of schizophrenia. There's multiple articles on that online. That's funny that later on here they, they say Jesus is insane. Wait a minute. Believing in multiple universes makes you sane? That from nothing came everything? That's sane? No, that's blindness declaring itself to be light, to be sight. That, that's one group of the blind. They really believe they see when they could dig up something and put upon it preset conditions for its interpretation. I'm going to be straight. The other, I'll say blind, category are false believers. These, like the Pharisees, assume that they are spiritually enlightened, but actually blind to who Jesus is. They narrow down what Jesus is to a particular point and exclude the rest. Okay, he's a prophet, <laughs> but Messiah, God, no way. Okay. These kind of people can repeat the Bible stories. Matter of fact, correct you when you get it wrong. Okay? They use Christian vocabulary, and they offer a version of the gospel. 
but they don't acknowledge the true identity of Jesus and do not worship Him as Lord. What do I mean by that? Okay? They see Jesus and their gospel version, their version of the gospel, as a means to get what they want. Jesus will go into this later, but he talks about the shepherds as a hireling. Okay? That is, here's what Jesus is. He's a way to get me out of hell. I don't want to go to hell. So, is that true? Yeah. Jesus can get you out of hell. But if that's what you see him as, is the get out of jail free card, those who play Monopoly. Okay? Or, or they see him as a way is to free myself of the guilt of my own darkness, my own sinfulness. Okay? They want to have the benefits of Jesus' sacrifice, but they don't want to worship Him as Supreme Lord and ruler of their lives. They see grace as a license to do what they want, be free from guilt and the consequences. That's what grace is. Okay? They don't see grace, okay, in its, in its two parts, or saving grace and sanctifying grace. They don't, they don't realize that grace comes and saves you, but it also empowers through the Holy Spirit you to overcome the sin, not to keep in it and then claim grace. Because if you keep on sinning and say the truth is not in you, okay, it's Grace is more than, hey, grace is freedom from the law of sin and death, in a sense. I mean, it's more than that, okay? It's not free from everything Jesus said you should do and you shouldn't do. That's still there. Go forth, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. Did you catch that? As, as fulfilling that, what's called the Great Commission, as is, is people, we're supposed to go out and to teach them to do what Jesus said. So not just believe that he can get you out of hell, okay, that your guilt's gone, but that you come to obey what he said. He is Lord of your life. It is that sanctifying grace that we see in someone's life is, I'll say this way, the evidence or the fruit of the saving grace in their life. The sad part is such people often, because they've been lied to by wolves, I use that term on purpose because in chapter 10, okay, they don't sense their need, their spiritual need. They are blind to their need. They feel quite satisfied like they've got an understanding of it. I've got the cross and grace correctly. You people have it wrong. They're fine, but wait a minute, wait a minute. He is Lord. Do what He says the way He says to do it. Yeah, but you don't understand it. Um, We're not in love anymore, so we're getting divorced. It wasn't this way from the beginning, Jesus says. God created a male... and. Oh, oh, did I say male and female? Can you do that? Okay, so we want to talk about out there, how can they say you're female when you're male and so on? Let me ask you a question. When Jesus says from the beginning, this is the way it was, man and woman forever. 
God hates divorce. Does that mean God hates divorce? Yeah, that means God hates divorce. And I know I'm ticking off some people right now because you're divorced. But remember, you're not the standard of truth. You're not the standard of light. You're the standard of darkness. It is Christ's light in you, that only way, way you can possibly be the light of the world, because he calls them that later. Okay? Just three more points. I'll get there. Okay? Okay. The first one was really the blind people. What, what are they like? What two types? You can go deeper than that. You can divide it up into other carries, but that's generally. Okay? It could be a Buddhist who believes they're in the light, that they have found nirvana, God, happiness, whatever you want to call it. Okay, that's what they believe. It's not just Christianity, but I chose that category because we live in the Western world and in the United States. Okay, the other point is, what's the purpose of the light or truth? Well, Jesus is saying here that I have come into the world as light so that Whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. One of the main the purposes of the light is exposed darkness. That bothers people. Now, I think we've all seen Ray Comfort, Todd Friel, others, ask a person, you know, have you ever lied? And it makes you a liar. Have you ever stole anything, even a pen from work? That makes you a thief, and so on like that. In that setting, they're okay. And he then goes on, at least most of the time, they ask this question, so if you're standing before God, where does that leave you? They ask them that to soften the blow. Instead it says, you know, when you stand before God, that makes you damned and judged. Wait a minute, what do you mean I'm damned and judged? They let them try to help that person come to an understanding of that without saying that. But that's what the light does. It exposes you as a thief and an adulterer and a liar. That's one of the reasons it came. So therefore, when we see that, we recognize, hopefully by the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit, oh, that cross thing, we need that. Not just the cross thing, we need the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to submit to Christ as Lord. Because our flesh goes, uh-uh, read Romans chapter 7. See, the effect of that light, of that truth, okay, it causes some to see, but it also causes others to become more blind. As the revelation of who Jesus is becomes brighter and brighter, so does the darkness. It, it stands in contrast. Now, I think we've all been out at night, especially if like you're on a lake and it's dark and you could spot that one light way over there across the lake because of the darkness, okay? You see that contrast. But the brighter that comes, you man, it was dark. We've all been there, pitch black, and you look up to see the stars of the sky, right? Well, let's eliminate the stars. We've all been, I think you've been there somewhere in a cellar or a basement and the lights and you can't see anything. Okay. As the light comes, it exposes how dark the darkness was. So one of the effects of the light, the truth, the Word of God, thy word is truth, okay, is that it, I'm going to put it like this, it doesn't literally make it, but it, exposes, it makes the dark darker. 
in the sense of how we see it. Magnifying the Lord doesn't make him greater. That's our perspective. And the more the light exposes sin for some people, their love of darkness grows. Okay, who wants to be criticized and corrected? Anybody want to vote for that? Yeah, please put me on the list. I want you to expose my faults. Well, let, let's write now, let's have a piece of paper and, and write the person next to you, their faults. Anybody want that? No. We're resistant to that by our sin nature. We want to be told, I'm okay, you're okay. You're basically good and I'm basically good. Just like Oprah, she'll tell you. Okay, or multiple other people will tell you. And you ask them, how are they going to get into heaven? Well, because my good deeds outweigh my bad ones. No, they don't. Your good deeds are superficial human things. Your sins against an eternal, infinite God. The, the one sin outweighs every good deed you'll ever do. Don't. Well, I just helped the neighbor mow their lawn and I helped the old lady across. That doesn't counterback my lying, my sin. Nope. When David sinned with Bathsheba against Uriah, he said this, I have sinned against God. You notice he didn't mention Bathsheba and Uriah. My sin takes on the nature of the one I sin against. Okay? The deceitfulness of sin often makes those who are in the greatest need of the light of divine revelation think that they are the most enlightened. You present the gospel, okay, to that kid at college taking that, that psychology class, the philosophy class, his physics class, his archaeology class, and you present the gospel and they go, you guys are in the darkness, man. You guys are blind. You're going to need to come over here in the light with us. How can you believe such a crazy thing? Here's what I heard the other day. Who would believe that God would kill his own son? He didn't. You'll see it in the next chapter. I laid down my life. No one took it from me. He volunteered to die on the cross. God did not make him. But see, they, they don't see it right. They think you're the one in darkness. The more you present the truth of the gospel, the crazier they think you become. You mean there's this all-powerful God up there who's perfectly good? Then why is there evil in the world? I don't know. Why are you stupid? Why do you not let the evidence speak for itself? That the highest peaks are covered with seashells, fossils, and so on. Okay, why? There was, I'm not going into that. I don't got time. Finally, the last point, is the source of the light. Only the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, can break through the dense darkness to bring conviction of spiritual blindness and create the openness of truth. That's why I use that scripture with the children out of 1 Corinthians 12 and 3. No one can say he is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's our problem in our culture. Because someone says it, the Jehovah Witness that comes to your door, the Muslims trying to convince you you believe in the same God, and will say Jesus is Lord. We do not have an Eastern mentality. To say something meant to do it, to be it. Okay? And if you didn't, it'd cost you your life your firstborn, 
your right hand, whatever the case of the pledge that you say is. It is doing. The only way someone can really recognize, say, and live as Jesus is Lord is by the Holy Spirit. That's it. You're going to... I know, I try. I try to do it in me. I just have enough self-discipline. I've decided... I've just, I, I won't do that again until the next time. Then I'll decide that I won't. It's, it's sort of like a New Year's resolution, you know, until next year. No. It, it, the areas of my life that still have to surrender to His Lordship are under the control and sovereign rule of God through His Holy Spirit as He works them out in me, as He does it in my life or in your life. Now, where we get in trouble is we want to assume what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life, He should be doing in yours. When he, He's exposing this in my life, this area of darkness, I'll call it that, in my life, for some reason we think He has to be doing that in you. He doesn't realize uh, God was sovereign over where you were born, who your parents were, who your life is, and therefore what He's got to work on. But the only way we recognize that light, even as true believers who, who, are, who are submitting to Him as Lord and doing... I don't want to say doing because that's not the right word. It is a heart to do what the Lord says. We don't look at something and say, hey, I'm free to do what I want. I can do this and I'm under grace. It doesn't matter. No, I can grieve the Holy Spirit as He works in me. That's where it's done. Not in a list of things or rules of things. And this is where the Pharisees got mixed up. Dude, the only way you're going to be righteous before God, the only way you're going to walk that righteousness in this life is by the Holy Spirit, not your 638 rules of stuff. You confuse doing these things with being righteous. No, being righteous is doing them for the right reason. That is, He is Lord and has every right to tell you what to do. I think we struggle with this most least in the West is because we gave up kings a long time ago. Kings, queens, okay? Those, those rulers in places. So, so, no, 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 but you can't tell us what to do, King George. We can do what we want over here. And so the idea of having an authori supreme authority in human realm, we have thrown that off, so we think in the, that same context, we bring it to the spiritual. So Jesus freed you so you can do what you want. He has signed your declaration of independence so now you're free to... Our founding fathers themselves realized that was sort of goofed up and they wrote the Bill of Rights. That we are endowed by our Creator, then it's even God that gives those. Okay? We must realize that God is a sovereign king and ruler. We sing it. We say our king. But do you realize what that means? Okay. We, you, you, you say, we pledge allegiance to the flag. You ain't seen nothing yet. He's king. That's where all allegiance will come. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Savior. Oh, Lord. Yeah, yeah. I thought I, I did confess Jesus was the Savior man. I, yeah. No, Lord. Every knee will admit he has a sovereign right to rule every moment of your life. Of every, he has the right to tell you what to say, to what to think, 
He has that right. Will we get it right? No, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But as king and ruler, do we recognize that and bow down and worship him as Lord and Son of Man, the one who comes in human form to redeem humanity? But he is also Lord God Almighty. Let's stand. Lord God, I thank you that you have revealed who you are to us. Not just in a written book, but came in human form, in the Son, in Christ Jesus. Sometimes, oh God, when we see that, we are so confronted by his light, his truth. It confronts our darkness and we struggle. God, I pray that those here today and listening will submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in their sanctification. They'll realize it's not about what they get to do and their own desires, but they get to do what you want. God, I pray for, against those wolves that want to come along and say your truth is whatever you want, even in the body of Christ. Father, I also pray for those that today, wherever they are, they didn't make it to a church today. Because of the holiday weekend, whatever church they go to, God, that you will draw them to you today. If they're in a campsite, they're in a hotel, they're at a relative's house, remind them that a day needs to be set apart to focus on God, to focus on you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.